It is so good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Gosh. It's true. I was thinking about, as I've been pondering this, I don't have a lot of answers. I just have a lot of things in my head about what I think about. And so. Great. We love that. We have been talking. This is a new project for us. And we really like that compared to everyone else who does this type of thing, uh, we're very clear that we have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not wrong. I love that. I love that. Well, and that's where the learning happens. Oh my God, we're learning organizations. That's exactly how it should be. Right? I agree. You, you got to have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. Welcome to Third Eye. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Audrey Betcher, director of Rochester Public Library for the last 20 years. She's helped to lead the library to national acclaim, winning the prestigious National Medal for Museum and Library Services significant and exceptional contributions to her community. You have all these things that you do. You have a service center that you oversee. Uh, You've got tutoring that you do. You have help getting people onto nonprofit boards. You do a ton of stuff and is really impressive. It's clear that you have that service mindset, that you're refreshed by helping others. Is there a tie between helping others and building community? Is there is there something about that that has made you successful? I really believe that I cannot be a good library director if I spend all my time in the library, because that's not where community, I mean, d- definitely community is in the library, but not everyone is there. So how do we make sure we're making those connections? And as we're doing that, we're building community because I love to make connections I love seeing how different systems come together. And so it's really fun for me to say, oh my gosh, this conversation is happening over here. You two need to be talking to each other. I mean, I love that kind of thing. I think that's really part of community building. There's a lot that goes into community building. I mean, I think there's a physical kinds of space. I think it's the, you know, the social infrastructure piece that really gets talked about in terms of the physical space, but yet are we welcoming? Do we have the right policies? Are we listening to our community to tell us what they need? There's no way I know what everybody needs in our community, and so how do I listen? I think that's all part of the community building process, and I also think equity is a huge part of what we do in the community, you know, because we know that all of our institutions have have racist histories and we look at the outcomes that are there today if you look you know race is one of the main factors in what your outcomes are going to be and we have got to be different and we have to change and that systems work and so i believe that systems work and community work is very tied together But I also really believe in how, well, I think COVID has shown us more than anything how important community is. I don't think there could have been anything that showed us how deeply we are social creatures. And so how does that impact us? How does that impact us as a library? How does that impact us as a school? How does that impact us as a whole city? And so I think about that a lot because I do strongly believe libraries are a key to that infrastructure because of the nature of who we are. I contend libraries are one of the last places in our community that where everyone is welcome, no price for admission. You can stay as long as you want. Really, parks and libraries are, are really the places for that. You know, in the past, we've had 
other places to be those community gathering places. You know, schools played that role Mm -hmm. to some degree. Churches have played that role to some degree. But as we become more diverse and as you have things like Columbine, the organizations change and our communities change. And would I feel as comfortable walking into a place of worship that's different from my religious beliefs? I I think we have to realize those are barriers. And so I think that challenges us as a community to really pay more attention to those physical spaces that are really welcoming to all. And so that's why I think the library is so critical for community. Towards the beginning of that, you were talking about how one of your key roles is to listen and to try to pull together different individuals or groups. Do you have a couple of examples of times where that's really been fruitful, where that's worked out and took a risk and it still landed? I have a couple examples from the pandemic that really exemplify it. I'll throw both of them out there. One is, so at the beginning of the pandemic, um, when schools closed and the library closed, we kept telephone reference open. So we put our reference librarians on it. And at the same time, I'm starting to attend the emergency operation team meetings where the city's mayor is saying, people are calling me. I'm spending a lot of time talking to people who have a lot of concerns about the pandemic. And I'm like, wait a minute, we've got resources. We've got trained people who know how to answer reference questions. So we were able to connect all those dots. We created this COVID hotline and all those calls started coming into the librarians. But yet I was also networking out there with the nonprofits to make sure we had good information to be sharing with the communities. But all of that were systems being built as we went. But it was also recognizing that we have a set of professionals with really important skills that we can deploy. So that's one example that I would give. The other is around the service center or the day center. And this is nationally. Public libraries across the country all work with people experiencing homelessness. You'll see that across the whole country. And in fact, what was really interesting is that in the summer of 2019, the state library provided training to all libraries across the state about working with people experiencing homelessness. There's a gentleman named Ryan Dowd who runs a homeless shelter in Chicago who has really become a leader working with libraries on how to work with people. And so there was an online training. We asked every single one of our staff members to take that training. So we were uniquely prepared to step into that space. So in the city's infrastructure, in terms of the Emergency Operations Center, I'm the section chief for health and human services. And that was, you know, that was pre-pandemic. I mean, I've been in that role in in the EOC for years. No one knew a pandemic was coming. I mean, we cer- I certainly didn't. But um, so, you know, we were asked by the Emergency Operations Center to stand up a day center. And we did it within 24 hours. Wow. Sorry, within 48 hours. Still well. Started on a Saturday. Monday morning at 8 a.m. we were open, but it really was the incredible skill set and the commitment of the library team. They were by far the majority of the people who volunteered to work the day center. We did have other city employees that also participated, 
but I look again and we were uniquely prepared. That has really created partnerships in a way that I never could have expected a year ago. You know, we're meeting weekly. We're running the day center portion and the county and Catholic Charities is running the warming shelter. So we're collaborating in a really strong way and making sure that we get better outcomes. At the end of the day, it's about outcomes for me. I love data. I love making sure we're doing things that work. And so that really is another example of how I love connecting the dots. I think it's really interesting too, Audrey. You didn't know you'd be in a pandemic and the pandemic to a certain extent made certain connections available that otherwise wouldn't have been available. I was just thinking about our podcast with Dessa and she's in New York and she would normally be wicked busy doing all these tours, but because of the pandemic, she was able to give us a half an hour of her time for an interview. And so you're right. The pandemic does uh, to a certain extent, make Zoom calls and yeah. things like that seem a little bit more natural. Our schedules are a little bit more pliable because we're stuck at home and being safe. And I, I love that you have taken that as an opportunity instead of just as a roadblock. It seems like you had to have some nodes of connection, some form of community, and then the pandemic made those bonds stronger. Uh, how did you even get that network going in the first place? How did you have that to make stronger? Yeah, I think part of it is because I tend to work in multiple spaces, Mm -hmm. meaning that like when Olmstead County pulls together people to talk about health outcomes, I show up at those meetings. The fact is I do have relationships there. And let's be real, part of it is longevity. I've been around a long time. So over the years, I've met a lot of different people, but, you know, I've been on the Chamber of Commerce board. I've been on the United Way board. I, you know, I've been in community space for a long time. And so I do know people. Part of it too is a little bit how I, how I see the library's role. You know, we have been in emergency planning before. One of my favorite stories is I had sent a librarian to an emergency planning session and they're like, we've never had librarians before. Well, you should, because, you know, we have all these skills. We know databases. And a lot of times in emergencies, you're building these databases of people who need resources. And so we have a lot of skills that are, are often overlooked. I really appreciate how much our emergency operation manager values that and has brought us into conversation. And so couple things, you know, that longevity and being around, but also the pandemic just made us say, we have to solve problems and we can't wait till tomorrow. And especially at the beginning, I swear things were changing by the hour. And I'm sure you felt that too. There were times it's like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? And it feels like we have 15 minutes to figure it out. And so I think that accelerated relationships just because there was so much to figure out. And so I think that aided in that ability to build network. And and you also find people with similar goals. The people we're working with are all trying to get better outcomes for people experiencing homelessness in that particular instance. And so you find fellow champions who believe it, who are willing to pull together and make things happen. So to try to pull those threads, you're saying you put yourself out there and you made yourself available and then you drew those threads when there was need, an authentic opportunity. And for educators, that seems most akin to 
parents and general community, right? If you if you never put yourself out there, you, you might not have to, but putting yourself out there, you can make those connections. You can pull on them when your students need you. That's one type of community that education is super important and not utilized quite often enough. I strongly believe that as well. How can we all pull in the same direction? Mm-hmm. And it's how do we build these networks and how do we use data I mean, one of the stories I will never forget, they were looking at the different data about kids going to college and those outcomes. And they said one of the factors were if kids filled out the FAFSA form, they were much more likely to look at financial aid for college. Well, they looked around at all their school districts and one school in particular had almost all of their seniors filling out FAFSA forms. And they went, how are they doing it? Well, one of the teachers put it in the, the economics class. Everybody else was doing pizza parties, trying to get parents to show up. And this one built it into the curriculum and they had great results. So without a lot of money, they were able to replicate that across the school district. And so I just look at things like that. You know, you're looking at where you find the bright spots and then you look at how do you replicate that. So I do believe in data, I do believe you know, I have to, we have to be careful not to weaponize it, but yet it is about, are we doing things that work? Because at the end of the day, you want every single kid to succeed. And how do we make sure that happens? Is there any equivalence in your library to our students, uh, meaning in terms of a community, a captive audience that didn't necessarily agree to be there? <laughs> no, it's, it's all by choice. No youth programs where a parent drops them off and goes, see you in an hour, kiddo. Oh, well, that certainly happens. That certainly happens. <laughs> but we see that as an opportunity, Yeah. you know, because that's an opportunity to engage that, that child to say, you know, did you know this is over here? Or this is just a welcoming space. We're happy for you to be here. And how can we serve you better? Because some of our best programming has come out of the kids. You know, Q Club is a great example of our LGBTQIA population saying, we need a safe place to be, and we want to be together, and we want to do that. And so, you know, somebody had messaged one of our librarians and said, you know, do you have this kind of programming? The person just brought friends, and pretty soon we had a program. So certainly there are times we're intentional about programming, but we also try to really be a partner Mm -hmm. and say, what do you need? How can we support you? So you had to have established enough trust to to have that conversation in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. How was that environment created? What is it that, that made that possible? So I give the credit to the library board for really setting an amazing strategic direction. So back in 2012, they said to us, we've got to have a new strategic plan. And we really did a lot of work with the board on what was the right process. And we ended up coming up with a community focus group that honestly gave us two days of their time. And so the first day, we really talked about what's your vision for the community? Not what do you want the library to do, but what's your vision for the community? And at the end of that day, they said to us, if we do education, workforce, and being welcoming and inclusive, We'll be an amazing community. And so after that, we came up with, okay, then what does that look like? 
And we had talked about the different roles of public libraries. You know, there's about 20 of them that are typical. And we talked to this focus group about wh what were their priorities. And we got some really great challenges back to us, you know, and one of them is how do we become more welcoming and inclusive? And so we've had to do a lot of internal work. You don't know what you don't know. And those that, that can help bring us along, there are people who are farther in their journey on their equity journey, whether it's, you know, I have to admit I'm of a generation where there's a lot of stuff I didn't know. And, and so how do I learn it? How do I become an ally? How do I have the right words when someone is not being, is not creating that welcoming space? How do we become better allies? And so this is a long journey, but it's been intentional. And that's what's been really important. And as we are intentional, people see that, you know, they give us grace for the, mis the mistakes we made. But I am super proud of the fact that the library hosts Pride Prom every year. You know, happy to do it. Totally see it as being part of being welcoming for the LGBTQIA populations. Happy to be that co-creator to help create the programs that are meaningful and build those relationships. So Audrey, mm -hmm. was there other types of internal work that you had to do to create that welcoming environment? Before we got to the real harder equity conversations, we really had to work on being a safe place to say what you think. Because you cannot have those hard conversations if you're afraid to say something that may not be right, quote, right. So we really took a, a look at our organization in terms of, are we a risk-taking organization? And we even created three awards every year to really say, we're going to build this into our organizational structure. So our three awards are the Collaboration Award, so something where we collaborated, the Cliff Jumper Award, and my favorite is actually the Heroic Failure Award. Nice. So where did we just totally fail, but yay, yay, we tried something different. But honestly, the things that come out of that Heroic Failure Award are often something that morphs into something so much better than we could have ever imagined. People love winning the Heroic Failure Award. So there is definitely internal work we had to do. We had to look at how communication flowed within our organization, because within any organization, lack of communication will get filled up with rumor, gossip, other, other things that are not helpful as an organization. So how did we ramp up our communication? You know, we really took some tools and really spent more time talking about how do we talk to each other and how do we make sure people know where we're going. I believe you can change the world if people know why you're going in a certain direction. You're talking about making sure that people's voices are heard and valued. How do you make sure they feel like you've heard? It's all in your actions. It's all in your actions. What I will tell you is back in 2019, time to redo our strategic plan. So we'd done it in 2012. We updated in 2015. The city did a strategic plan in 2018. So in 2019, we said we need to update our strategic plan. And we're like, how do we make sure the voices we don't normally hear in a planning process are heard? Mm -hmm. And so as part of that planning process, we're like, who do, who do we need to hear from? Okay, so we're like, Okay, let's make sure we hear from low-income parents, 
Let's make sure we hear from the Somali community. Let's make sure we hear. I mean, so we had a whole list, low-income seniors. We had a whole, we had we ended up with a number of focus groups that we partnered with community partners to help us pull people together. We paid them. This is valuable to us. Your time is valuable to us. We want to hear from you. And we sat down and we had conversations. And that helped us drive the strategic plan and our building program. So that's, you have to be intentional. Mm -hmm. Can I paraphrase it back for clarity? You made sure that you had someone outside help you make sure you were reaching voices you might not have thought Correct. of. Correct. We partnered with Wilder Research. You made a very purposeful invitation to those voices, and then you immediately showed them that you valued them, one, with an act of gratitude, right. and two, by taking right. action. Yeah. Oof. Bam. Oh. Yeah, it's about how we, how we live out our values. And our core values for the library is we care. Mm. You know, welcoming environment, equity, all those things are part of, of who we are and how we do it. Love it. That was awesome. So Audrey, we have um, an activity that we call in the blink of three eyes. Yep. Three rapid fire questions. And are you ready for them? I'm ready. What podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately? So a book by Marissa King called Social Chemistry that talks about how networks come together how there's basically three types of networks. You have convening networks, brokering networks, and expansionist networks, and how those are really critical for what are the different factors and pros and cons of each one, and how as a community, you really have to have all of them to, to build a strong community. And so that is, um, that's my book that I'm going to recommend. And of course, we have it at the library. Hey, nice. <laughs> I love it. All right. Next question. We really value innovation. What is one innovation that you've seen recently or would really like to see? So uh, this is something I have been noodling for several years on how to bring people together in a way that's unexpected. And I was I went to the Netherlands to explore this company called Seats to Meet that uses something called the serendipity machine. To like they they do it in a co-working environment. And I'm like, how do I make that happen in a library where people who don't know each other can get to know each other? And so I just feel like there's so many more connections that it's just harder to make in this world. I don't need another Facebook friend. I need somebody to talk to in person who may share something that's really important. How do we find out what those connections are? And so I really think there's something there about building real face-to-face, or I know in a pandemic world, that's harder to do, but how do we build new and strong connections across a community, and especially across people you wouldn't normally run into? And those people are all at the library, people that I wouldn't necessarily find in my social group. How can I make new connections? So that's one of those things that I'm like, how can we do this better? How can we really make people connect with each other or help people connect with each other? I look forward to seeing it. Yeah, someday, man, I would love to figure it out. It's going to happen. Yeah. So listeners who are inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be? So I'm all about learning. And so anything that you can do to be on your equity journey, I think is absolutely critical. 
I'm going to throw out for white people in the audience, I would strongly recommend Seeing White, a podcast by Seen on Radio. I have found it just so thought-provoking on all the history we don't really know and how we see color as something that's non-white. And it's a social construct. It doesn't mean anything anyway. But how do we see white when we're in the majority and have most of the power? So I, I would strongly encourage people to just be on an equity journey. It will impact every part of our community. And it's so critical. That's awesome. It is. Thank you so much, Audrey. You're of course. a fabulous guest. We really appreciate that you took the time. I really Absolutely. appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you so much to Audrey Betcher and, of course, Dover Iota for supporting this podcast. As always, we've been your hosts, Nick Truxel, Heather Like, and Mike Carroll. Thank you to Michael Terrell for composing our music. Tune in next time for a wonderful conversation with Wiley Blevins world-renowned phonics and early reading expert. Join us in the future for conversations with poet Taylor Molly and Minnesota Teacher of the Year nominees for 2021. We look forward to seeing you then.